Hello, friends, and welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad, and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life, and one of the ways that God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, whether it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. Last week, um, we did something a little different with our sermon time together. Um, If you were not able to be with us on Boxing Day, um, we spent some time looking at a list of things 13 items long. Um, 13 things that the Bible tells us that God is. It's by no means an exhaustive list, and I'm certainly not going to recap them all right now, but it was just an opportunity for us to explore, as the children of God, what it means, or who God is. That when we talk about, oh yes, we're we're the children of God, we're God's children, and and we talk about how we love God and and all of these things, what are we talking about when we say God? And and we just wanted to scratch the surface. Uh, The little tagline is a brief intro to God Almighty, and it's just a brief introduction, just scratching the surface of of who God is. And this week, we're going to take the same approach to our time together. If you were with us last week, then you kind of have an idea of what what we're going to to be doing, but one by one, we're going we're gonna to look and see just a, a little bit of a different list, the same idea, but a little bit of a different list. Last time we talked about everything that God is, all the enormity and the majesty, the power and the amazing things that God is, and this week what we're going to do is we're going to take this big long list of things that God is, and we're going to bring it down to what that means for us. See what it means that that God that we talked about last week and all that he is and all the parts of his story and, and all the things that he is, what does it mean that that God is my God? That that God is my God. That that God is, is a God who, who loves me and who cares for me and is intimately involved in my life. That the God who is powerful, the God who is holy, the God who is just, who is all-knowing, who is faithful, who is changeless, is in my life. And so we're going to talk and move through this list. The first thing that we're going to talk about is, is that God is my creator, one of the foundations, and uh, Psalm 119, verse 13 says, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. One of the, the foundational truths of the Bible is, is that God is the creator of all that is. And a creator is, is someone who makes something new. People can, can create art projects or musical compositions or physical structures. However, no matter what we create, we have to start with something we, we didn't create. What we would call creativity is, is really something more like synthesis. Because we're, we're only taking what already exists and making something different rather than, than something truly new. But God didn't need raw materials to work with. When, when we say that God is our creator, we mean that he is truly creative in a category all by himself because he started with nothing. He created human beings a, a step above the rest by breathing his own life 
into that man. God created the man and the woman in his own image. That means that human beings are, are more like God than any other created thing. We have an eternal spirit just as God has. We can reason, choose good or evil, and love. We have emotions, intellect, and the power to create things, or, and the desire to create things ourselves. God being our creator shows us that we have significance that, that we, we have, have a role inside of this world that's separate and distinct because we are creative and we were created. Next, um, he is my authority. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus being our authority means that, that he is final. And so, so what that means for us is, is that there's nothing that stands above and beyond him that can challenge him or his power. So, so when we come to something and we think, I don't know how I feel about that. Well, God is our authority. When, when we come to a place where, where we need direction or we need wisdom or, or we need to understand about our place in the world, God is our authority. His word is true, his plan is true, and his power is true. What God has said is true. And so when God is our authority, that means when we look to him, what we have to understand about God being our authority is that even above ourselves, God's word is true. Next, he is my restorer. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. As Christians, we're, we're the sheep of God's pastures. There, there's a Bible verse that will tell us that. and He can restore our souls. To restore means to repair, renovate, or to return to a former condition. The, the soul is the deepest part of us, our spirit, our inmost being. And, and since God is the one who made us, God is the one who can restore us. Because only he knows what it means for us to be truly restored in our souls. Because God is the one who made us, God is the one who made you, he knows then what your soul needs. So as we talk about restoring, it's not somehow a one-size-fits-all, everybody must need this. But when we talk about that God restores our soul, God restores my soul, God knows what Brad's soul is missing. God knows what Brad's soul needs. God knows what your soul needs, and he's able to restore it. Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 show us that God is our refiner. And it says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. And he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. See, one of the things that we can get caught up in when we think about ourselves, and, and part of it is because we know ourselves better than anybody else knows us, is I know more about me than anybody else does. Because I not only know the things I do, I know the things I think, I know the things I wish, I know the things that I've chosen not to do. I know everything that there is to know about me. And so one of the things that can happen to us is that we can begin to see ourselves full of impurity, full of, full of sin, and we can begin to think that God sees us that way as well. 
that when God looks at us, because God is holy and God is, is majesty and God is all sinless perfection and all of these things, that when he looks at me, he must see someone full of impurity. But that's not how God sees us. That's not how God sees you. See, God doesn't see you as full of impurity. God sees you as full of potential. He, in the, in the refining imagery, is the refiner, and, and we are like this lump of, of unrefined gold or unrefined silver, full of impurity, but also full of potential beauty. And so God doesn't look and go, look at all the impurity. He looks at you and me, and he goes, if I could just spend a little bit of time with them. The, the, the beauty, the potential is incredible. God loves us too much to leave us where we are because our impure selves cannot reflect clearly all who he is and our fullest joy is realized in the growing brilliance of our reflection of him in our lives. And so God wants to refine us so that day by day, moment by moment, we're able to more reflect who he is to, to the world. And when God looks at any one of us, when God looks at you or when God looks at me, he sees this potential to be this incredible reflection of who he is. It must be a bad sermon for your mom to walk out in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Um, the next one, he is my deliverer. Psalm 70, verse 5. But as for me, I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. When we call upon the Lord, when we, know, when we understand that God is, is my deliverer, we understand that, that he works in mighty, mysterious, and perfect ways. God is perfectly able to do any and every work that it takes to deliver us. Whether you need deliverance from sin, deliverance from affliction, deliverance from lies, or deliverance from sickness, God has the power and the desire to deliver you. He is both mighty and loving. He is both mysterious and real. He is both servant and king. And he sees your needs and longs to meet you exactly where you are. That God is our deliverer means that where we find ourselves today is the place that God wants to meet us. See, God doesn't deliver us, like God doesn't say, I will deliver you, but only if it's from a place that I want to go. I will deliver you, but only from a place of holiness. See, see, God doesn't need to deliver us from there. But God looks at our mess, and when we understand God is our deliverer, what we can understand to be true about that is that God will meet us where we are. Next, he is my refuge. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. God, when we understand God is our refuge or our safe place or our retreat, the place where we can go when we're afraid, when we know that God is our refuge, it enables us to trust him more freely. We don't need to fear situations or people who threaten our well-being, whether in a physical or a spiritual sense. There is no situation where we can face that, that we will ever be outside of God's control. The best place to be always is right with him. And so when we understand that God is our refuge and we don't need to look around and be in fear or be in worry or be anxious about what's taking place around us because God says, whatever you're facing and whatever you're dealing with right now, 
Come and just exist inside of my presence. Let me exist above and beyond you. Let me cover you. Let me take care of you. Next, he is our overcomer. Jesus will say in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. When Jesus says that he's overcome the world, he meant that he had defeated the enemy. He has defeated death, that he's already overcome everything in this world and in this life that's going to try and overcome us. That means we're already walking in victory, not in the tension of battle, not in the tension of can I overcome this, not in this tension of am I going to be overcome, not in this tension of man, I hope everything just works out right. Jesus says you've already won. So walk from a place where you've already won. Don't walk from a place of of worry about the battle. Walk from a place that says, I have already overcome, not because of me, but because Jesus is the overcomer. Next, he is my peace. Ephesians 2.14 says, for he himself is our peace. When scripture states that Jesus is our peace, it reminds us that that we were once enemies of God. It started back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were separated from God because of sin. But because of Jesus' work on the cross, the separation was closed for believers. And now we have peace. Now we can have a peace Because we've been brought back into relationship with God. We were separated from God, but now are unified with God in Christ. And that is what brings us peace. Next, he is my life. John chapter 6, verse 35 says, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. By saying he was, he was like bread, by saying he, he was the bread of life, Jesus is saying that he's essential for life. But, but the life that Jesus is referring to is, is not physical life, but, but eternal life. Jesus isn't saying, when, when Jesus would say, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, he's not talking about a literal physical eating and drinking. It's not a physical life. When he says, I am the bread of life, I'm essential for your physical life, he's talking about eternal life. Jesus is trying to get people's thinking off the physical realm and onto the spiritual. He's contrasting what he brings as the Messiah with the bread he miraculously created the day before. That when you read the story, you see that the day before, Jesus had fed all of these thousands of people with just these couple fish and a couple loaves of bread. And then the next day, Jesus says, see, I I met your physical need with this bread, but you need to understand that it's not bread that you're looking for. But I am the bread of life. That that bread, that was all cool and all great. But this, me, I'm something more. That was physical bread that perishes. He is spiritual bread that brings eternal life. Next, he is my fortress. Psalm 18 verse 2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. Our God is our fortress, a strong fortress to save us. God's, God protects us with God's love. See, in a fortress, you are safe. 
Things can and will attack, but the walls will hold. And it's, it's the same with God. No matter what happens, no matter who is mean to you or, or what you do, no matter what, nothing can ever separate you from God. The walls will hold because God has you in the palm of God's hand. No matter what, God will always be there for you. Nothing can ever separate you from God. God is your fortress and he will protect you. Next, he is my healer. Psalm 107 verse 20. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Being a healer, being a God who heals, is an integral part of God's character. God cares about every area of your health, your physical health, your mental health, your emotional well-being, and your spiritual vitality. When we understand that God is our healer, the great physician, we recognize that no healing happens apart from him, and only he can provide lasting healing from our brokenness. But it's not just that, that God can heal. It's that God wants to heal. God is a God who heals and who sets things right. Next, Psalm 16, verse 7, tells us that he is my counselor. It says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart, or, my heart instructs me. God is our counselor, means that we can trust him to listen to our problems and to guide us in the right direction. We can be sure he's listening because he's told us to pray about, his wor or about our worries. Jesus will say, will say, come to me, all you who are, who are weary, and, and the scripture will say, cast your cares upon him, that Jesus wants us to come to him with the things that are wrong. Jesus wants us to come to him at the moments in our lives where we don't know what to do, when, when we're there because we've made a choice or we're there because we found ourselves in this place. Jesus says, come to me, Come talk to me about, about these things. We can be sure he has our best interest at heart because he loves us. And we talked about that last week, that it's not just that God does love, it's that God is love. And his love is so wide and deep and wonderful that we, we cannot fully understand it. Next, he is my sustainer. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you, sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. So what does it mean that God is our sustainer? To sustain, to sustain something means to give it strength, protection, encouragement, and comfort. When God sustains us, it's a holding together with power that surpasses that of any human. Humans are finite, what that means is, is the strongest among us, whether it be physical or, or emotional or spiritual, the, the strongest among us only have so much strength and energy on our own. But God, he's not finite. God is infinite. He's without limit. And that means that his strength is without end. We, we may try to gain strength from the things of this world, but these things will always disappoint 
and ultimately always leave us wearier and emptier than when we started. When we look for strength apart from God, I can have a five-hour energy drink. I, I, can, I can do things to give myself more strength, but it's all temporal. That if I need to find real, true, lasting sustainment, I need to come to Jesus. We, we must, or when we feel we're falling apart, we've got nothing left to give, we must turn to the only source of unending, sustaining strength. And in Isaiah, it will say, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings as eagles. They will walk and not grow weary. They will run and, and not grow faint. And it, it's not this idea of like God is this infinite cardio machine. But it's this understanding that, that you and I on our own, we can only go so far. But when we take ourselves and put us in the hands of God, that somehow there's this miraculous transference that takes place where my strength is replaced by the strength of God and I can do more and I can go further because it's not me that's trying to get these things done. It's the Lord. Next, he is my hope. Psalm 71, verse 5. It says, For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. Now, theologically... If we want to understand this that way, hope is linked to faith. Hebrews will tell us that, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And since faith is the trust we place in God's word, hand, and heart, it gives us a foundation for hope. What this means is that God is our reason for optimism. See, hope is, is the future tense of faith. Since we trust in God, can you imagine what tomorrow could look like? God's love has taught us to trust him. That trust opens up the door to hope. Hope is the goosebumps that faith creates when I think of God's love for me. See, I can have faith that God's going to do something. I can, I can have faith that I believe that this is going to work out. But hope is when I really believe that things are going to work out. That it's not, oh, I'm trusting God for this. But it's, I'm believing in God for this. That I don't just, I'm putting my faith and my trust that, that somehow, someway, God is looking, or God is going to do something. But my hope, when I have hope, it's looking and saying, man, God is going to do something. This is going to be great. It's when Paul says that he can boast in his weakness because in his weakness he's made strong. It's this understanding that, that God is going to do something and so I actually look at what I don't have and it gets me excited. Not just because I have faith that God's going to do something, but I look at my life and I see all these areas where I fall short and I go, man, God is going to have to do something amazing to use this mess. It's the hope that we have that God is not just going to do something, but that I believe in my heart of hearts that God is going to do something. Next, he is my strength. Isaiah 12, verse 2 says, The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. 
Now, this is another verse with, with lots of things, and even some of the words that we've used already show up here. But we're going to focus on him being our strength. So when God is our strength, God gives us the power we need to endure whatever it is that we're facing when we serve him. To fight our spiritual battles, to resist temptation, and to stand up under persecution. We are weak, but he is strong. And we can exchange our strength for his when we make the choice to allow God to work through us and then try to make ourselves work for him. See, when, God, when we understand that God is our strength, what we need to, to know and to understand is that we have this source that exists in our lives that allows for us to not just endure, but to see things differently, to not just somehow grit our teeth and make it through. And as bad and as terrible as things are, I just need to hold on. But Paul will talk about this, this time when he's in jail. And, and he, will, he will relate, and it's in the book of, of Philippians. And he will talk about how, actually, it's amazing, because while he's in jail... They have to send a new guard to him every few hours. And that's amazing because every time this new guard comes, it's somebody new he gets to share Jesus with. And, and so God, the, the, the Romans are sending him an endless supply of people to witness to because their shifts only last so long. And so I get a new one every eight hours and somebody's got to come in and they're stuck here. I've got to, I'm a captive audience, but so are they. And they have to listen to me tell them about Jesus again and again and again. And this is what this picture of God being our strength looks like. It's, it's not that somehow God just comes and infuses Paul with this ability to just stand there and grit his teeth and hold on and try and make it to the end of his sentence. But it's that God's strength changes his perspective on what he's dealing with. And suddenly he's looking around and he's going, you know what? This isn't actually that hard for me. Because what I see is that I've got all these people I can witness to. It's amazing. And suddenly he's filled with strength, not because he's just this strong, incredible, you know, God has filled him with all this endurance, but it's because God has changed his perception of what he's facing. Now, we have one more to share this morning. Um, but this one's going to tie into the close of our time together as we, as we close with communion. And so the elements are available for communion throughout the sanctuary. Um, if you've not yet grabbed some, you can, you can do that, that right now. Um, they're just up at the front here. And I know nobody likes to come to this one. I don't know why. But you can come and get some at the front here. Or there's, there's some at the back there. There's, oh, we got somebody. Thank you, Gene. Somebody's going to come in. Oh, and Zach, look at this. See, now everybody's coming to the front because I said that. And there we go. But the last one that we're going to talk about today, the last thing that God is for us today is God is my Redeemer. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 20 says, The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins. Since death is the punishment for sin, and we talked about that, that a few weeks ago, that the wages of sin is death, that wherever, wherever sin exists, there's death. 
Since, sin, or since death is the punishment for sin, and Christ died willingly in our place to deliver us from the power and the penalty of sin and to bring us back to God. By his death in our place, he redeems us. That, that means he buys us back. That means he brings us back. That, that we were in a position where this is uh, our, our actions, our life, the sum total of who and what we were and who and what we've done had led us to a place where each one of us was deserving of death. But Jesus being our redeemer means that he bought us back. He paid our penalty. He paid our fine. And the fine, the penalty that he paid was his death. And so he brought us back. He redeemed us back. He redeems us from hell and gives us forgiveness of our sins, gives us his righteousness, and gives us everlasting life. And with this truth, with this awareness of who God is, it's on this note that we're going to take communion together. With this reminder that this God who, who we've spent these last two weeks talking about, this gigantic God who is the creator and the sustainer of all life everywhere, this God who defines what it is to be holy, this God who, who, who is love, this God who is our creator, this God who is our strength and our hope, this God who is everything to everything, is also the God who died for us, the God who is all-powerful, the all-knowing creator, the sustainer of all life everywhere, that God is the God who gave up his life for you and for me. And so when we understand this incredible picture of who God is, we come together with grateful hearts to this place, to communion, knowing that God died for you and God died for me. So Paul will recount the story of, of Jesus in the Last Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when, when he will say, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's, let's share in the bread together. Then Paul, Paul will write, In the same way, he, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is, is the new covenant between God and his people. This is, this is the picture of redemption. This is the picture of God is my redeemer, that there's this new covenant, this new understanding of our relationship because the wages of sin was death. But he redeemed us and has given us the gift of eternal life. And it's, it's an agreement, Jesus will say, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. So let's, let's share in the cup together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that as we, we come together to, to talk about all that you are, God, I thank you that in everything you are, in everything that you are for us, in everything you are that's above and beyond us, I thank you that in everything you are, 
God, we look at the enormity of, of who you are. God, I thank you that we come to this place where we know that you love us, that you died for us, that you care for us in such a way that we don't have to wonder where we stand. We don't have to worry about have we done enough. We don't have to worry about have we, have we sinned too much. God, I thank you that in our relationship with you, we can have confidence. Because even though you are great and mighty and awesome, that you loved us so much that you went to the cross for us. And God, I thank you that in this moment right now, as we, set, as we walk through communion together, God, I thank you that this serves as such a reminder that we have a God who is infinite, beyond everything, and a God who is intimate and who loves each one of us with an ununderstandable, unending love. God, thank you for being our Redeemer. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So there you have it for today. Last week we had 13 things. If I counted right, this week we had 17 so the last two weeks, you've had 30 points to your sermons. 17 things today that God is for us. And like last time, I hope that one or two of these maybe really resonated and ministered to you today. Or perhaps that it was more connected to just the, the, the size and scope of it all. That it wasn't one thing, but it was all of the things. That you were reminded so much of, wow, that is who God is for me. It's an impossible task to try and encapsulate all that, that God is for us. It's, 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 it's impossible. Even with these two weeks, we, we won't even come close to touching all that God is for us. But, but I hope that between last week and this week, you've been encouraged by just catching a glimpse of all that God is and all that God is for us. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighed? Thanks so much for sharing in this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We are so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. And you can connect to us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on Contact Us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team's contact info by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power in their lives. And we pray that this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go.
guilty Who would care that much about me Let me tell you about my Jesus Oh He makes a way where the rain 